How is everybody? Good, good, good. Everyone repent for their gluttonous behavior this last week. And I don't know if anyone else does it really. <laughs> I do really irrational things. I, I, I justify in my mind that if I eat like raw vegetables for lunch, that I can wash it down with a big glass of eggnog and it kind of like balances it out. And then you look at the caloric intake of eggnog and I get the like really thick, horrible stuff for you, that Southern Comfort in the black jug, right? It's like you go to pour it and it's like <laughs> slow motion into your glass. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's all I got. I don't have like any great stories. I just, there's a little window into the, <laughs> the private life of Corey Trimble. So um, if you're new to the church, we've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been working through this for, for several months now. And I say this every week, but, but this book has been one of the more fascinating books that I've got to teach. I've really, really enjoyed it. And if you haven't been here, what makes this book so interesting is the author is exceptionally interesting, especially in light of our time. So 3,000 years ago, roughly, a man named Solomon wrote this book of the Bible at the end of his life. Now, Solomon was a man that had all the sex he could have had, all the money he could have had, all the power and influence he could have had. He was known as the wisest man who's ever lived. This guy had everything. And what was interesting at the end of his kind of a short life, he died when he was about 60 years old, but at the end of his life, he looked back and he realized that though he had all of these things, he did not have a relationship with God. Therefore, he had not found contentment. Now, in our day and age, when it's all about self and it's all about accumulating and what more can I get, it's interesting that, that thousands of years ago, this man wrote that I had it all and it didn't work. So if you were here last week, we did chapter 10 and we talked about this. We asked ourselves, does our private life mirror our public life? Are we the same behind closed doors as we are in public? And what's interesting about that question is we've become a, a culture a society that has become masters at creating a facade, kind of a public image, right? Social media has done this for us, right? So we create this image on Facebook and Instagram and everyone says, man, they always look great. They're always on vacation. They're always laughing as they eat oatmeal and, you know, like all this stuff, right? And it creates this facade that's not really real. And um, so we ask the question, are we the same behind closed doors as we are out in the open? This week, we're going to talk about something, uh, and you're going to be very underwhelmed by me today. You're, you're probably often underwhelmed by me, but you're going to be especially underwhelmed by me today. I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know or that you haven't already thought about before, but here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that if we don't lean into God, we can't find meaning in this life, and we will, have, uh, uh, we will not have a good afterlife. So we have to lean into God to have a meaningful existence now and to make sure that we are eternally secure forever, right? That we have a good home in the life after this life. Very simple stuff, but I think it really fits this time of the year uh, very well. So if you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is right after the book of Proverbs. We're in the 11th chapter, very, very short. So we'll run through it relatively quick today. Um, you should have got a notes handout on your way in. It has everything I'm going to say in there. Everything should be on the screens. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app. So fun story before I begin. We, we have an, I have an iPad at, at the house that I'll do work on sometimes when I'm there. And 
my seven-year-old has found out how to text me from my iPad to my phone. So she has gotten on there, and I'll be, like, doing something important, or, you know, I'll be working at work, and I'll get a text from my daughter, and it's like, you know, smiley face, smiley face, hey, dad, what's up? You know, like, smiley face, smiley face, and I'm like, bye, <laughs> I'm working, right? You know, like, but she's figured that out, and um, again, that story has no relevance or purpose. I just <laughs> wanted to share that with you. All right. Let me pray and we'll get into the word. That's why you're here. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I thank you so much for this church, Lord. God, we just had Thanksgiving and um, Lord, we appreciate eating food with people. We appreciate sitting around and talking with family. We appreciate uh, uh, just, just all those things, God. But more than all of that, uh, Father, we appreciate you and we appreciate what you've done in our lives. We appreciate health and we appreciate... Uh, just the time that we get right now, we're thankful, Lord. God, we pray that you keep your hand on our church this morning. Pray that you keep your hand on every church in our community, in our city. Pray that you keep your hand on churches that we work with all over the country, all over the world. And uh, I pray, Father, that everything we talk about today, God, that, it, that it's good for us and that it blesses us, God. And we also pray, Lord, that our study and our work and our time, that it blesses you, God, and it makes you proud. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 11, this is Solomon. I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm gonna go back and uh, break it down, okay? Solomon says, send your bread on the surface of the water for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you also don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally as good. So what he's talking about in the beginning of this chapter is investments. Now, I know probably the only thing more uncomfortable to talk about in church than money is probably sex in church, right? But the Bible talks a lot about that. I remember when I did Song of Solomon, it was 12 weeks of that, and it's extremely uncomfortable, but it's part of the Bible. So apart from talking about sex, the most uncomfortable thing is money, but the Bible talks about that a lot as well. And Solomon tells us, and he encourages us that we should be wise with how we use our money. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't take calculated risks, right? That doesn't mean that every once in a while, if you're into investing, if you're into you know, pouring into different things, it might be a little risky. That's okay. You can do that every once in a while, as long as the important things in your life are taken care of, which means first, we need to be faithful to God with our finances. 
Secondly, if we're the man of the house or if we're a single mom and we're responsible for our family, you need to make sure that you're working hard and providing for the ones that God has given you control over. It says that in 1 Timothy, that if a man does not provide for his family, he's worse than a non-believer. So the Bible commands us first to be faithful to God with our finances. Secondly, to make sure that we're taking care of the things that we need to take care of in their life. So we need to think about how we spend money. We should also be wise about money because the Bible tells us to be generous, right? So verse two seems to promote not only saving money and being wise, but also giving money away. And the priority of generosity and benevolence, you can go all throughout the entire Bible and you see the benevolence and being generous with finances is throughout the entire thing. In fact, James, the, the literal brother of Jesus Christ, he said this in James chapter two, what good is it to say to someone, stay warm and be fed, but don't give them what the body needs? What he means by that is, let's say we call ourselves a Christian and it's raining out and it's cold and someone is sitting there on the curb, you know, naked and hungry, and you just kind of step over them and go, hey, Jesus loves you. But you don't give them what they need you're not doing what the Bible tells you to do. Now listen, we need to be wise about that as well. First and foremost, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's what the Bible says. So first and foremost, it's not just about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. We are to do that, but first and foremost, we're to tell them about Jesus Christ. So that's, that's good. But those two things go hand in hand. In fact, Jesus Christ said in the book of Matthew, he separated people into sheeps and goats. And he said the sheeps are the one that fed people when they were hungry, clothed them when they were naked, visited them while they were in prison, and the goats were the ones who didn't do that. So we do both of those things. We share the gospel with people, but we also meet them where they are in their needs, okay? We're to do both. Solomon says where a tree falls, it's going to lie there. Now, this is one of those passages where you're reading the Bible and you're like, Thank you, Bible. If a tree falls down, it's going to lie where it falls. But it means something more than that. It's talking about the uncertainties of life. And the way we are, I don't know if you're like this. A lot of you men in the room, I think, are, are extra like this. We're fixers, and we want to have control over stuff. So because of the uncertainties in life, we want to control as much as we can about our lives. But what Solomon is saying is, it's good to prepare it's good to have a savings account. It's good to do your work ahead of time and get a, little bit of, get a little bit ahead. You can do all those things, but sometimes trees are just gonna fall and there's nothing you can do about them. So what that means is this. We should be wise, we should prepare, we should do everything we can, but sometimes unexpected things are gonna happen and that's why God has to be our ultimate source of security. No matter how good we are, no matter how much money's in the bank, no matter how much we've worked hard and prepared and, and done all these things, at the end of the day, we just have to trust that life is in God's hands. We have to trust that. He is our ultimate source of security. But here's one of the problems. I love this part. Solomon says, though, that people who are just watching the clouds roll by, they're never going to get ahead in life. What that means is it's okay sometimes to, to, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago, to build some room in your life to where you can just lay down in a field and watch the clouds, right? Or watch the stars at night. That's okay. But what he means by this is if we live our lives 
just kind of passively waiting for everything to fall into place, it's not gonna happen. And many people refuse to act until everything is perfect, until there's absolutely no risk involved. And that kind of passivity can be dangerous in life, both on a practical level and on a spiritual level. On a practical level, let me give you an example. I'll have people come up to me all the time and they're like, Corey, I've been praying for two years for God to give me a job. And I'm like, well, how many applications have you filled out? None, but I'm praying about it. <laughs> well, you can pray about it all day long, but until you actually go somewhere and fill out an application, you're not gonna get a job, right? And so we sometimes think that God's just gonna like drop the application and he's gonna fill it out for us and then take it back somewhere. And it's just not gonna happen. We have to do some work. So it's impossible to get ahead in life if we're just staring at the clouds and feeling the wind hit our face. It's impossible to grow as a Christian without work. The Bible even says that as we draw near to Jesus, right, it means we have to take a step, that he draws near to us. We're not saved by works. You know, there's a, I get trolls online. People like to troll me sometimes because they're living in their mom's basement. I don't know what they're doing, but they like to troll me. And so sometimes I'll say that we have to work and they're like, well, you're not saved by works. And I'm like, I know we're not saved by works, but when we're saved, we're working, right? We're supposed to be doing something. And so we're to pray and read the word of God. And if we don't do those works, we're not gonna grow any closer to Jesus Christ. And the Bible backs me up on that. The Bible says that if we don't plant anything, we can't expect to see anything grow. So to the Christian, there is no pause button, I hate to tell you. Well, I'm just pausing my faith for a minute. There is no pause. You're either getting closer to Jesus or you're slipping further away from him. There is no pause button. So we often get angry at God for not making things happen, but if we've never done anything to plant any seeds, nothing's gonna grow, we can't expect anything. It's like with our finances. We've already breached the uncomfortable subject of finances, but when people come up to me and they're just like, Corey, can you pray for my finances? I'll always say, if you come up here and say that to me, this is what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna say, look, I'll pray for you, but if you're not trusting God with your money, God's only gonna curse your finances, not bless them. Malachi chapter three, right? That's what that says. So whenever people say, man, I just can't financially get ahead, are you trusting God with your finances? Well, no, I'm not. Then you're never gonna get financially ahead. You're never gonna be what you're supposed to be in your finances, I'm just sorry. Because if we don't plant that seed, we can't expect anything to grow from that. If we're never generous, why would we expect people to be generous to us? We've never planted the seed of generosity. And that goes with all facets of our life, but we shake our fist at God. God, how dare you not grow this? And God's like, you never planted anything, right? How do you want me to grow it? So God is the one that produces stuff, but we have to do some work on the front end. And Solomon highlights this. He thinks it's interesting because we often think that if we just plant one seed, God might do a little. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that if we have faith, just the size of a seed, a mustard seed, that we can actually move mountains. Now that's allegorical, right? I don't think there's a lot of Christians like moving Mount Everest. I think that's an allegory, right? I think it's a metaphor. But what God is saying is, if you just give me a little bit, I'll give you a lot. And so we take for granted how much God wants to do for us. We are also so quick to give up when God doesn't instantly fix our problem. Because that's the society we live in, right? We send our best friend a text, hey, what are you doing? All right, I'm unfriending him, he hasn't responded yet, right? 
and you like remove them and you hate them and you cut ties with everybody because they haven't responded within 30 seconds. God forbid they might be driving a car or spending time with their spouse, but they didn't respond to you instantly. But in times of waiting, we're not to turn away from God and get mad at God. That's when we're to trust him more. Maybe God is trying to teach us to be patient. It's a hard lesson. But what we need to learn is this. God's timing is always good, and it may not be the same as your timing. And we just need to learn that and learn to deal with that. But it goes back to balance. Listen, I think the Bible tells us to work hard. I think the Bible tells us to plant seeds and to water that. I'm going to show you that scripture in a second. But we're not to be workaholics. We're to sow our seed in the morning, it says. We're to work to the best of our abilities. But at the end of the day, we have to trust that God has everything in control. That's what the sovereignty of God is. If you go back a couple of chapters into chapter four, I love what Solomon says. He says it's better to have one handful with rest than it is to have two handfuls and no rest. What he's saying is it's better to have balance. That means if you go to work for eight hours, man, work your butt off. But when you get off of work, be off of work. Spend time with your wife. Spend time with your husband. Spend time with your kids. Relax a little bit. Go for a drive. Take your kids out for some ice cream or it's Christmas time. Just sit and drink a bunch of eggnog. Whatever it is, right? Strive for balance. Celery for dinner. Eggnog is dessert, right? That's what we do. <laughs> it's the month of December for Corey. So this is an important scripture, and this is one to remember. This is very, very important. Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something very liberating, okay? You ready? You are not responsible for the results. Amen. That's a very liberating thing if you think about it. God says to us, plant seeds, water the seeds, but the growth is up to God. All we're called to do is plant the seed, water the seed, but the results are up to God. They're not up to us. That is a very, very liberating passage, one that you should remember, okay? Next part. Light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is futile. Rejoice, young person, while you're young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the desires of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of your life are fleeting." So remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. Okay, if you've come to this church for any length of time, you've heard me say this. If you're new, this is very important. The reason why we go through whole books of the Bible, the reason why we take a chapter and I read a piece and then we break it down is because if you approach the Bible and just pull out passages, you will grossly misinterpret the Bible. You can even think that the Bible contradicts itself if you just pull out little pieces and use them individually. It's very dangerous to do that. In fact, we're gonna get to a part, I just read it, and I'm gonna break it down here in a second, to where if you just pulled that passage out, 
where it says to follow your heart and the desires of your eyes. If you were to pull that passage out without knowing the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, man, that gives you a license to look at porn, doesn't it? It says follow the desires of my eyes. I wanna look at porn. The Bible says I can do that, right? The Bible says to follow my heart. I've grown apart from my wife. I like this other woman. I'm gonna marry her. I'm gonna follow the desires of my heart. So it's very dangerous to pull scripture out of context, very dangerous. So when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to read it as a whole. You have to read it with a wide lens because if you don't, you're gonna take it grossly out of context and it can do a lot of damage, all right? So that being said, it starts to talk about day and night a little bit in this passage that I just read to you. And oftentimes in the Bible, and this is pretty simple, night is, is kind of a, a, an allegory for death or the end or fear or evil, and that would show us that day is the opposite, right? That is life and vitality and joy and youth. And so Solomon is, Solomon is encouraging us that during the day of our life, the days of our lives, right? that we should enjoy those and we should take advantage of those because we all know that the night is going to come. Basically, we're all gonna die one day. So in your youth, enjoy it. Take advantage of it, right? In all stages of your life, take advantage of it because one day, this life will end. That's what he's saying. Unfortunately, though, many of us ignore the fact that one day we are going to die. That's not just young people, that's old people as well. We, we, we try to push it off and we're terrified of death. So here's the two extremes that we typically go to as humans, right? Humans, especially right now, we go to extremes. None of us hang out in the middle. We're either one crazy way or the other crazy way. And here's the two ways that people go when it comes to death. Either people completely ignore the fact that they will ever die and they, leave, they live hedonistic lives, they do whatever they wanna do, they're, they're like a wrecking ball, right? They do that, or people are so afraid of death that they stay in their houses and they become weirdos and they're constantly, they're hypochondriacs and they're always worried about things. And there's these two extremes. Neither one of these extremes are God's will for your life, neither one. We're to be aware of the fact that we're not going to live forever, right? but we're also to not live in fear. The Christian should not live in fear of death. Our death in this life is the ultimate liberation because the life after this is going to be perfect. We should not be afraid of death. The only thing that scares me about death is I just don't wanna leave my wife a widow and I don't wanna leave my, my girls fatherless. But besides that, me dying? If I didn't have a wife and kids and if I didn't have other things going on, I'm not... I, I, I would be more than happy to go to the next life because it's going to be perfect. I have no fear of the afterlife. So here's why we don't pull scripture out of context. If you go back to this part where Solomon says, follow your heart, follow the desires of your eyes, that directly contradicts another Old Testament passage, Jeremiah 17, nine. Again, if you come to this church for any length of time, you're gonna hear me talk about Jeremiah 17, nine. It's very, very important to me because we live in a culture now to where everyone says, follow your heart, which is horrible advice, terrible advice. I don't care what that like piece of barn wood has painted on it. It's really bad advice to follow your heart. 
<laughs> Someone's, someone just leaned over, honey, we gotta take that down when we get home, right? So anyways, <laughs> the Bible says the heart is the most deceitful part of our body not to follow it. So why does Solomon say follow your heart? Well, you get the answer when you read a couple lines down. When he says, if you follow your heart, if you follow the desires of your eyes, he says, God will hold you in judgment for those things. He will hold you accountable for those things. So it's not that we shouldn't have desires in our hearts. It's not that we shouldn't have uh, dreams or ambitions or goals. We should have those things. But we have to know that if we live outside of God's design, there are consequences for that. So you should enjoy your youth. You should enjoy every stage of your life. But we have to know, in this life and in the next life, if we don't repent, we're gonna have to pay for what we decided to do. In this life, let's just say uh, you're young and you're like, well, you know, one day I'll settle down, one day I'll get married, I'll be with the same woman forever, but for now, I'm gonna have sex with as many women as I can. Now, if you do that, there are going to be consequences for that. There's gonna be psychological consequences. <laughs> Depression is directly linked to having multiple partners. There's gonna be all kinds of things like that. You could get an STD. You could have an unwanted pregnancy. There's going to be consequences. And even if God forgives you for all of those things, you're still gonna to have to deal with those consequences. It's just reality. If you don't repent for those things and you continue to live hedonistically like that, you will pay for those things for eternity. Listen, let me tell you something very, very sobering. And we don't like to talk about this in church. This is not how you grow big churches. But I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says. One day, every single one of us in this room, according to the book of Matthew and Jesus himself, we will stand in front of the perfect, righteous judge. And the Bible says he will open up the books of our lives. That's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Amen. Now listen, if you've lived in a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing bad in that book. If you have not lived in a relationship with Jesus, it's gonna be a rough meeting. That's gonna be hard for us because everything we've done, we're gonna be held accountable for. The Bible even says every single word we will be held accountable for. And we won't just be held accountable for things that we have done. Listen, we will be held accountable for things that we have not done. When we have not been generous, when we have not helped the naked and we have not uh, fed the poor, when we have not visited people in jail, when we have not prayed and read the word of God, when we have not raised our children to fear the Lord, when we have not done things, we're gonna be held accountable for that as well. Amen. So it's not just that we're to stay away from evil. We're to also do good. Listen, every single one of us will have to look Jesus in the eye and give an account for how we've lived. Corey, that's scary. It should be a little. That should be a little sobering. So Solomon says, he's specifically talking to young people right here, but again, it goes for all of us. He says, young people, remove the sorrow from your heart. I find this to be an extremely ironic statement in light of the time we live in, and I'll show you why here in a second. But Solomon tells us to lean into God when we're young, so God can take away our sorrow and so God can heal us of the pain in our bodies because the prime time of our life, right, our youth is fleeting. So the Bible directly says, if you're young in here, I think all of you should listen, but maybe more if you're young. If you're young in here, we are to lean into God so God can help us, right, remove sorrow, depression, and so God can remove pain, right, the pain that we go through. 
Now, what is fascinating to me, and I'm gonna show you two studies, okay? What is fascinating to me is we have become the most self-focused generation that has ever lived. And I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about some of you older cats in here too. We are so self-focused. It's all about us. Even the church has become all about us. That's why we can rank churches now and rate them, right? Well, the seats were good, but the air conditioning, a little too cold, three stars, right? (laughs) It sounds funny. We get it all the time, right? Loved the preaching, but... I didn't like the music so much, two stars, right? And things like this all the time because it's all about us. We don't come to church to be with brothers and sisters and glorify God. We came because we wanna be entertained, right? It's for us. We're the most self-focused people ever. You You know what's fascinating about that? Listen to me. The more we focus on self, the more depressed and suicidal we become. I'm not just making that up. Let me show you. I'm gonna show you two studies, okay? This is from Time Magazine, not from a Christian publication. This is from Time Magazine earlier this year. They did a study on depression with young people. Between 2009 and 2017, rates of depression among ages 14 to 17 increased by more than 60%. The increase was nearly as steep among those ages 12 to 13. 12-year-olds struggling with depression. Guys, let me be a jerk for a second. Do you know what one of the biggest culprits is? Social media. Corey, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you how ridiculous it is. About three years ago, we had a 15-year-old girl at this church who was getting bullied online, hung herself in her backyard from her tree, and her dad had to cut her down. Let me be a jerk for a second. Maybe you should think twice before you let your 12-year-old have a social media account. Maybe you should think about it a little bit. Just throwing that out there. The increases were nearly as steep among those ages 12 to 13 and 18 to 21, 46%. Rates roughly doubled among 20 to 21-year-olds. In 2017, more than one in eight Americans aged 12 to 25 experienced a major depressive episode. Let me translate that. It means they contemplated suicide. One out of every eight 12 to 25-year-olds thought about taking their life. Back to social media. A year ago, there was two 12-year-olds that did take their lives on Facebook Live. So the further we get away from God, literally, the more we focus on ourselves, the more we want to kill ourselves. That's what Time Magazine was saying. Now, let me show you another study that was done by the Barner Research Group. Right now in the United States, 10% of 18 to 29-year-olds go to church once a month and believe the Bible is the authority in their lives. 10%. So we see that only 10% of young people in the United States are going to church 25% of the time. And we see that depression and suicidal thoughts are shooting out the roof. Now, is this just a coincidence? Is this just two things that happen to look the same but really have nothing to do with each other? I don't think so. The Bible says young people remove sorrow from your heart, and the only way to do that is to let Jesus Christ in your heart. And the more we push Jesus out of the picture, and the more we say it's all about the pursuit of myself, the more depressed we've ever been. 12-year-olds, 12-year-olds. But verse 12, one is the key. Look at this. It says, so remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. You know what that says? That if we don't get a grip on Jesus soon, that one day we're gonna look back just like Solomon and say, man, I wasted my life. It is imperative in all stages of life, but as early as possible, it is the best to remember our creator before the hard days come, before time catches up with us. Now listen, guys, this is not gonna happen accidentally. You're not gonna accidentally have a great relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to be done on purpose. We have to choose to do this. We have to choose to read the word of God. We have to choose to pray. We have to choose to be at church. We have to choose to want to grow closer to our creator. And we need to do that as soon as possible. You could start that today if you wanted to, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So let's ask some questions. Let's think about some things. Listen, we often blame God, but in reality, we are the ones responsible for planting and watering the seeds. We cannot expect God to do something. Listen, God is a gentleman. God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you handle this? The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks, which means he wants to come in, but unless we get up and go to the door and invite him in, he does not feel welcome. The reason why God doesn't do more in some of your lives is God has not been invited into your life. God has not, we have not gotten up off the proverbial couch to let Jesus Christ into our lives. We blame him, but it's our fault. God's perfect. We're the ones that are imperfect. And here's the thing, let's be honest. And I think the two studies that I showed you already proves this point. Let's be honest. Has our way of living worked? Has our pursuit of self and individuality, has it worked for us? Those of you who are, I'm 40 years old, those of you who are 40 plus, did you ever think you would hear about 12-year-olds committing suicide? Man, when I was 12 years old, I'm not sure if I knew what that word meant. I was too busy running around, like driving dirt bikes and getting in fights with my friends, right? Being a boy. Is the way we're doing things, is it working? Is it bringing us closer to God? Is it making us more content? Time Magazine just proved to us that it's not. Not only are we getting what we want out of life, are we getting what we need out of life? We often look at God and say, God, I want this. Now listen, what we should do is say, God, what do I need? Give me what I need. That's not always easy because you know what? Sometimes Corey needs to be humbled. I don't wanna be humbled. Sometimes I need to be humbled. So I need to, I need to get in the habit of praying and saying, God, it's not about what I want. It's what, what, what do you want from me? What do I need? What's best for me? God, give me that. Amen. And that may be a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but God's ways are bigger than our ways. And our results are not good. You know what? We tend to overcomplicate it, but it boils down to this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not? The church has gotten so fluffy and it's become just a bunch of freaking motivational speakers, right? We don't have pastors anymore. We don't have shepherds. We got cool hip guys that get up there and make everyone just feel wonderful. And that's not what it's all about. 
If we're to truly be Christians, if we're to truly follow Jesus Christ, it means that we give God everything. God, here's my family, here's my work, here's my money, here's my time, here's the best of me, God. The Bible says that we're to give God our first fruits, right? You get the best, God, and then everything else. I'll give to my wife, my kids, my church, everything else. But first and foremost, my relationship with him has to be good. If I, if I call myself a Christian, guys, it means I have to trust Christ with every part of me. Every part of me. Everything in my life. It's the only way it's going to work. So let me ask, how are we preparing the soil? Are we working to have true balance in our lives? When we're at work, are we working hard? When we go home, are we being present with our family? Are we blocking off that time to, to pray? Are we blocking off that time to, to be at church and serve at church? Are we blocking off that alone time? Are we balancing the things in our life? Well, Corey, I just don't have time. The average American is on social media and TV six hours a day. You have time. The problem is your time is mismanaged. Everyone has 24 hours in a day. Astrophysicists, pastors, you. We all have 24 hours. It's what you do with that 24 hours. Are we responsible with what God has given us? Well, Corey, God hasn't given me much. Well, he gave you children. Are you responsible with them? He gave you breath in your lungs and blood in your veins. What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with the relationships in your life? Everything good that we have is because God has allowed us to have it. We are stewards. We are just borrowing it. What are we doing with it? Are we using our resources well? Guys, do you take time to enjoy life? I'm not talking about vegging out and watching a whole season of Stranger Things in one sitting. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> a lot of conviction right there, right? Are you really taking the time to enjoy life? When's the last time you just went for a drive, rolled down the windows, and just looked at nature? When's the last time you walked around your block and thanked God that you live in a safe neighborhood? When's the last time you looked at people that you love and, and just sat back and enjoyed the things of this life? I've known a lot of very, very wealthy people in my life. I've known wealthy people that have passed away. I've talked to a lot of people on their deathbeds before. And you know what's interesting about powerful, wealthy people when they're at the end of their life? They don't wish they would have made more money. They don't wish they would have had a bigger house. They just wish they had more time. Time is something we can never buy back. What are you doing with your time? Are you enjoying it? Do you have peace? Are you appreciative? The last question is this. Are we investing in the only thing that can really grow anything of substance in our life? This is where, when I said you're gonna be underwhelmed today, this is where you're gonna be underwhelmed. I just wanna ask you, I wanna ask you, how's your relationship with God? Honestly, how is your relationship with God? Well, it's better than my neighbors. Listen, that's called self-righteousness. 
Now listen, I can compare myself to some of you in this room, right? And look pretty good. But when I compare myself to Jesus Christ, I don't look so hot. When we start comparing ourselves to each other, that's not the way God works. When we stand in front of Jesus Christ and he said, Corey, tell me about your life. Well, I was, I was better than this guy. No, 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 let's talk about you. How is your relationship with God? Do you know what I find remarkable, remarkable about this time of year? We have a holiday like Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I don't really have any family. I got my mom in St. Louis who's probably watching right now, but besides that, I don't really have any family. But my wife's family, they all come over to our house and I get to make the turkey. I made the turkey this year. It was cooked. It's good. Everyone comes to our house. And I, I, I love that time. I really do. I really appreciate it. But you know what I keep noticing every single year? And I'm not trying to make any of you feel bad. It's funny. It's not Black Friday anymore. Have you noticed that? It's now bled over onto Thanksgiving. By the time Friday rolls around, everyone's already done because we've now let corporate America interfere in our family time, in our Thanksgiving time. And so in a time when we should be thankful, we gotta hit the stores. God forbid I miss that sale on that piece of crap I'm gonna throw away in a year. And then we roll into Christmas and we get into debt up to our eyeballs Worried if we don't get all this stuff for the right people in the right package that we're not going to feel loved and validated. And in a time of thanksgiving and in a time when we should be celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we've somehow lost sight. And we're not thankful, we're entitled. And we're not thinking about Jesus, we're thinking about ourselves. How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with your Savior? How's your relationship with people around you? If you're honest with yourself, how you doing? Are you square with the man upstairs? Does he know who you are? I, look, I know he knows who you are, but does he know you? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room, if you are in this room and you don't have a relationship with God, and I'm not trying to make you feel weird, you don't need to feel uncomfortable, any of that, please. It's not that kind of church. But up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here on the corner of the stage. If you do not have a relationship with God, but you're curious, you're interested, maybe you don't know what to do, please come up here and talk to Mike. He would, he would be overjoyed to talk with you. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I know that this time of year is not easy for some of us. Not easy for me. I don't mind being honest with you. I, I've been going to a counselor since last year, once a month, because this time of year I struggle. If you also struggle with this time of year or whatever your prayer request is, why don't you come up here and let a brother or sister pray with you? The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room. Listen, here's the good news about today. If you have not had a good relationship with God, if you've been selfish, if you have not invested in the right things, here's what's beautiful about our Savior. The body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine, communion is all around you wherever you see a lamp on a table. Everyone in this room, if you ask God to forgive you, 
You can take the body, you can take the blood, you can take that in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And what he did for us on the cross, God gave his only son that while we were still sinners, he paid the price for us. He will instantly forgive us. He will instantly restore us and we can have that relationship with God. Please don't miss that opportunity. Father, Lord, I love you. I love this church, God, more than I can even express with words. Father, I pray that during this time of the year that we really remember what it's about. God, there's nothing wrong with gifts. There's nothing wrong with parties. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But Lord, please let us take the time to remember that this is about you. It's about family and friends. Let us remember what it's really about. God, we love you. We thank you. Bless everyone in this room, God, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, Lord. And we pray protection over them in Jesus' name, God. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.